Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. What's going on, everyone, and welcome to the Toronto Raptors TOT Cast, brought to you by TipTheTower.com. I'm Chris Kranitz, and joining me, as always, is Mark Grant. On today's podcast, we're going to go through a variety of topics, including the Raptors signing last week of Gerard Utah from Iowa, Jay Crowder's ridiculous comments about how the Raptors are pretty much irrelevant, Damari Carroll, when I spoke to him at his little media scrum, he had Damari Carroll camp last week, DeMar DeRozan, USA Basketball, and anything else that crosses our mind. Damar... How you doing, man? How's things going? Doing great. Excited to finally <clears throat> to finally talk about new uh, prospect Jared Utah. He's kind of interesting. I mean, he's signed a two-year non-guaranteed deal with the Raptors to be pretty much their well, not necessarily their 16th or 17th man because I would put him at the Raptors 905, but more so to enter camp and compete for that 15th roster spot with guys like Fred VanVleet. What do you think his chances are of actually winning that last roster, last roster spot with the Raptors? I think it's really good, actually, because the Raptors need a backup power forward, and people keep trying to sell me on the Jared Sullinger at power forward, and I will not buy it. Hold on. <laughs> you won't buy it? What do you mean you won't buy it? Because you think he's not going to make the roster, or what's the deal with that there? Uh, I think he'll make the roster. I just don't. I just don't think he's a power forward at this point. Like, the amount of weight he needs to lose will not. It's either he's coming in to the, the camp like Skinny Lowry, you know, and I haven't seen any pictures of Jared Sillinger in the past couple months. So I'm going to start looking. <laughs> <laughs> right, so Where does he fit then, though? It's, I don't think he's like, I don't think he's going to be like making, making significant contributions to the roster at this point. Wow, that's bold. I think that'll be a board bet worthy once uh, the season draws near, but he's, hold on, so you're thinking... Basically, he's going to fit behind Jonas Valanciunas at center there? I don't think he's going to get a lot of time to play, bro. I honestly... Damn. Yeah, I just, You're more or less saying he's going to be out of the league after this season, then. He doesn't lose the weight. He's going to be out of the league, man. I, I think he'll definitely lose the weight. I think you're kind of underestimating him a bit. This is a guy that was an All-American in college. 
he, coming out of like entering college in high school, he was all American in the state of Ohio. He's always been a very very good player with a lot of talent, and all of a sudden this weight came on. But I feel like he could, if there's something that he can control, it's his physical appearance, right? And weight is something that he can easily shed. It's not a question about skill. So I think once he drops the weight, the rest will follow. But it sounds like you really don't believe in him dropping the weight. The whole the whole reason why he is even like let like let go from the Celtics is because he refused. It's not even a refusal. It's like an inability inability to lose that weight. And they wanted him on the team, but ever since you know since he can't lose it, you know that's why he's not on the team anymore. So now that the Raptors have him, they're like he's gonna lose the weight. You know, skinny Lowry will begat a skinny Sullinger, but I'm not. I'm just not sold. I don't know. I have to see it. I have to see it to believe it. That's fair. I'll uh, I'll agree to disagree with you on that one. So I do I do think he'll put it all together. I don't think he's gonna have the season that some are hoping he will. I think he'll be okay, but not great. Like I'm not expecting some Bismack Biombo type Renaissance season here, but I think he'll definitely contribute. Before we fall too far off into Jared Sullinger talk, though, let's backtrack here to Gerard Utah, the Raptors, I guess, 16th man per se. Um, how do you see him fitting in with this team and what he brings? I think he's kind of Kind of a D and three player, best case scenario. Although I don't see the D part, I see the three part, but not the D part. How do you see him fitting in? I think he's probably going to be battling Jared Sollinger for that power forward spot. If you really want to, you know, if you're really high on Jared Sollinger, I think it's still going to be a battle just because of uh, Utah's ability to score. You know, maybe his ability to defend. You know, for some reason he just refuses to get into a defensive stance. <laughs> but I don't know if you watch a lot of his games at Iowa. He's not the greatest on-ball defender, but he's actually a very intelligent help side defender. Like when you watch him come around and kind of trap players in opportune, like very opportune situations where it's just it doesn't necessarily lead to a turnover, but it leads to a prolonged shot clock or a more difficult shot. He's smart in that sense, but he's just not very good on ball, and I don't know how well that'll translate in the NBA game. Yeah, that does. I mean, it's mostly the stance because he's never, you know, you're supposed to like sit down in a stance right to keep your feet agile. And his, he looks flat-footed. Yeah, he just, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, is that he looks flat-footed. And it's not even just on defense, even on offense, sometimes he looks flat-footed. He doesn't really have any sort of, like, quick first step. You know, it's an exaggeration, but somebody like, you know, John Wall is like, the first step is everything to their game. That's like, it contributes, <laughs> it contributes like, nothing to his game. His first step's ridiculous, yeah. though. I guess then we kind of agree that he's very most a useful bench piece. Yeah. Like he's a bench player at best that can shoot the three and play some subpar defense. Yeah, I'm I'm expecting him like in the first few games of the season, you know, like your coach tries to juggle rotations and see what works. I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the court, you know, in ba- in backup in the backup spot, not necessarily starting. That'd be crazy. Yeah, no, I think that'd be a little much to ask for him. One thing I found interesting with him watching him play in the Big Ten at Iowa. And then looking back on it now is that he led the Big Ten in blocks last year with 2.7 the game. He's 6'10", but he's real thin. I know he's got a 34.5-inch vertical, but he doesn't strike me as a shot blocker when you see him. I mean, he looks like a poor man's Doug McDermott. Yeah, he look, I, yeah, he looks like that, but it's not, you know, Doug McDermott's also athletic. So. Oh, Doug McDermott filled the cup up like nobody else in college. It was ridiculous how good he was. I mean... Dare I say it, I know Adam Morrison was a bust, but for those that remember Adam Morrison in college, <laughs> that guy could score at will. And Doug McDermott was similar in that sense. And at times, Gerard Utah and Iowa, I mean, the way he was scoring, it was nuts. Yeah. He was just he was their best player at all times. You know, it's 
the nexus of his scoring is the jump shot, you know. So like even in the post, like he'll just shoot, turn around, fade away, like turn around Jays. He has a lot of like spot ups. So I, you know, I like it. It it, it works well with the rest of the team. I'm just I don't know the defensive the defensive liability. Even though that he gets a lot of blocks, it doesn't seem like uh, his one on one defense is necessarily there. It's great great team defender though. You need a good te- you need good team defenders to have a cohesive defense. So there's that at least. So I guess hmm, he's kind of destined for the 905 then, just because of his defensive approach. I don't know about destined for the 905. I think he'll make an appearance. But again, the power forward spot is like that's the biggest hole for the Raptors starting and bench role. So he could be make an appearance, man. I'm not. I'm not. You know, it's between him and Jared Sollinger. It's going to be a fight for minutes, and I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. It's best, you know, you know, when uh, two rival companies are uh, selling this, like a similar product, they try to make it cheaper or better than the other company, and it benefits the consumer. I feel like we're going to see that with the Raptors, these two players. That would make sense, especially when you look at what the rest of the league is trying to do now. I know everybody wants shooters, and everybody, the, all the rage is small ball, right? But when you look at the teams that do most successfully, they're not necessarily small ball teams in the sense where the players are small. These are guys with freakish athletics, freak length. Like they're just they're they're players you get out of a lab. And people like to point to the Warriors as the small ball, you know, blueprint. But when you look at like what they do really, really well, it's all spacing and a lot of the guys they have are really long and they can just do a variety of things well. And I I see the Raptors kinda trying to go that route by adding players that are A long. B can shoot, and C are a bit versatile. Where they're smart, but they're also versatile enough to play different positions on the court. So, I think the Raptors are slowly going to try and put a, an emphasis on spacing. I know that's like it feels weird saying that because they're such an ISO team, but I feel like they're slowly going to try and add more spacing elements to their offense this year. Yeah, me too. I mean, that's the key to winning at this point right now. They don't have. Like, well, we, they don't have a like, dominant. You know, if you don't have spacing you could just have like a dominant big man right and then he'll like he'll uh, shrink the floor for everybody else so it's easier for everybody else to shoot but since they don't have that gotta go for the spacing option man see i think that's what's so maddening for us to talk about is because during the playoffs when we'd watch them play we would bark and yell at the television about seeing these things in the games and we'd just be like man space the damn floor and stop trying to play iso because this roster is constructed in a manner that it favors that right like I know the ISO ball is there with DeRozan and Lowry, but when that ball whips around the court and they get spacing, they get better looks. And now I know guys like Patterson and Carroll were not making those threes in the postseason, but it's not going to be like that over an 82-game season. It's just the law of averages will kick in, and these shots are going to fall, and I just think the Raptors are going to be better off by playing that style of basketball. Yeah, well, they're going to need their uh, their superstar, <laughs> DeMar DeRozan, to actually pass the ball in the uh, wouldn't even have to be in isolation situations. You'd have to be able to like share the ball in a system, which they don't have at this point. Yeah, that system part is. <laughs> they need to. I don't. I don't know what to call their offense, man. I watch watching it all season. I'm just kind of like, what is it? Kind of reminds me of a, a '90s offense where like you're searching for the. You know, the Cavs did this in the finals too, where you're searching for a mismatch, right? And then you exploit the mismatch to generate points. It's like a really, really, really old school way of generating points because now everybody's just like we're trying to maximize the amount of space you can get so you can have an open shot now the raptors are playing the, the super old style where it's like if i can just get a sliver of daylight where i can uh 
overpower you in some sort of way. Not necessarily overpower, but like, uh, you know, give myself a better opportunity than than average. And they'll play that sort of style. I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of ugly to watch, and that's why in the playoffs it's kind of ugly to watch <laughs> because it's really slow and isocentric. But seems like that's the way they uh, want to play, even though that they have um, pieces that would do better in a newer uh, system. Is DeMar DeRozan not the prototypical 90s player, though? At the moment, yeah, he, at least, yeah. like, what we've seen from him so far, like, he is your prototypical 90s player. Yeah, we, he dribbles, he's a slasher, he drives to the rim, his jump shot, and, you know, his jump shot's okay, but when you stretch it past 20 feet to the three-point line, it gets questionable. Like, that's just a 90s player in a nutshell. Yeah, and, you know, if he's going to get better as a player, he's going to, like, I know this is, like, beating a dead horse at this point, but, like, get better as a player, he's either going to have to do two, one of two things. Distribute the ball. And he doesn't even have to do it at a very high rate. He has to just do it enough so that the defense doesn't just crowd him whenever he drives to the paint. Or shoot the three. And he doesn't have to shoot the three like Steph Curry. He needs to shoot the three like Jimmy Butler, where it's like two or three times a game. Just be effective. Yeah, it is like, hopefully he's doing that during this offseason. You know, just training to shoot the three-point shot. Because that is like the next evolution in his game, and he can't just live in the paint all the time. Because you're not gonna, no. you're not necessarily, you're necessarily not gonna get all the whistles in the postseason. Not a chance. No matter how big of a superstar you are, we'll get into that a little bit later on in the show because Damari Carroll had some interesting, interesting things to say about Demar Derozan when I uh, asked him about him at his camp there. Um, we'll get into that part. But somebody else who had some interesting things to say was Jay Crowder of the Boston Celtics, who threw some serious shade at the Raptors last week when he said Toronto is not a team the Celtics are worried about, and quite frankly said the Eastern <laughs> Conference as a whole isn't really worried about Yeah, it's laugh-worthy. It's really <laughs> laugh-worthy. I'm sure Brad Stevens was thrilled to hear young buck Jay Crowder come out there and you know throw some great July headlines for everybody. You know what? Need something to talk about. It's vacation time, you know. Why not just try to sweep my Eastern Conference rivals underneath the rug? Even though the Raptors have gotten far farther than the Celtics have in like the past five years, so, you know, <laughs> it's just laughable because Jay, Jay Crowder just like feels like he's like a like a kid brother, you know, just trying to talk, trying to talk smack to his his older brother, be like, yo, man. I'm out here. I'm on the come up. I'm on the come up. That's all I picture from this guy. Exactly. He's a young hoodlum at the YMCA where you're playing pickup and you're going, man, like, you know, junior ball was from three to five, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, the Celtics <laughs> are probably going to be really good this season, especially with the addition of Al Horford, but. Yep, they'll be much better. Just to discount the Raptors. I mean, that's uh, ill-advised, let's say. Yeah, I mean, he's basically not accounting for the fact that Damari Carroll and Jonas Valanciunas missed some time last year. So for as much as the Raptors overachieved, and whether we like to admit it or not, they most definitely overachieved last year with their 56 wins. That's without Damari Carroll and Jonas Valanciunas for a large por- portion of it. So no reason to think they couldn't win 50 games again, the Raptors. Yeah, I don't know, man. The Boston Celtics and Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder is so good, but he's not an amazing player. I, just, I feel like he has one of those, he's become one of those irrational confidence guys. Which comes with being a good but not great player. So you just need to. It comes with being young <laughs> and being young, you know. So it's just like I'm the best, and these guys aren't even. Why are you even talking about these people? Why aren't you talking? Yeah, like I don't mind his confidence. I, it's just when you say things like that, that's just stupidity. Yeah. I know it's July and all that, but dude, 
stay out of the headlines if if you're on the opposing team like that and you haven't won the division yet. It's just it just creates bad pub bad PR for yourself. Yeah. Do you th- how close do you think the Raptors and Celtics are though? I I think they're closer than most people would like to think. That's because me too. Just because um people don't really get to see Al Horford play very frequently because he's on the Hawks and the Hawks have like two national games per season. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so I just don't think they realize how good he is, but. Now that they have him, they have Isaiah Thomas that somehow is just like this amazing player to get to the rim. Even though he's that pick and roll situation is going to be lethal, right? So those dishes to uh, Al Horford at the elbow or from the three point like wing, or dive into the cup. Yeah, it's going to be great, man. I just yeah, people just don't realize how good Al Horford is. Just like how they no, I oh man, I think he's the best two way pick and roll defender and offensive player in the league. In PNR situations, probably him or DeAndre Jordan, just because he can throw him those gorgeous alley oops. Those lobs are fantastic, <laughs> right? But uh, yeah, they, I just don't think they realize how good he is. He plays in Atlanta, and plus, Paul Millsap kind of overshadowed him while they were in Atlanta. So we'll see. But I actually think that they're very good. This would be like a good two-three battle going into the mid, probably late part of the season, barring injury, of course. Yeah, I think both teams are most certainly still chasing Cleveland, but that battle for not only the Atlantic Division, but that 2-3 spot will be pretty compelling to watch throughout the season. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too, man. I'm I'm happy for a little bit of rivalry. You don't really get that much in the NBA anymore. So. Is Are we like officially calling this a rivalry? Not, are we projecting? It's not a rivalry, but it's getting chippy. Just say that. I think it's going to be a rivalry. I think, if, I think we're on the verge of it. I think if there's a hard foul in that first game that they play against somebody, and then somebody bumps somebody, and then there's a lot of yelling, I think it could develop into a rivalry. Just like these few words that uh, Jay Crowder just said, it's just like it's going to spark interest. Right, exactly. There's there's a little bit of smoke. There's a little bit of. <laughs> well, to, to add to that, if you want to like take like a wrestling approach here, the Boston Celtics do have a potential heel. Amir Johnson, he's one of the most beloved Raptors. What if he just goes heel all of a sudden and, you know, kind of backs up his teammates in Boston? Doesn't need to necessarily throw shade at Toronto, but what if he just kind of took the Celtics side a bit more instead of being a Switzerland neutral party here? I, I don't know, man. The, the Raptors, I could, I can absolutely see that. But the Raptors fan base loves Amir Johnson so much. They love him. That's why I think it'd be even more compelling if he kind of, you know, took the side of Jay Crowder or Boston a bit more. Because, let's yeah, face yeah. it, this Raptors, Toronto sports fans as a whole are cynical at times. Very cynical. So it just it would, the, the betrayal feeling, like you just said, would be, I don't know, let me tell you something, the real GM forums and the Reddit forums for Raptors fans would be fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, I think we're on the on the verge of a rivalry. This is that first game, man, I'm telling you, if somebody bumps somebody or hard fouls somebody, and then you see like people running it into the crowd, or not into the crowd, like in like. So let mouse at the palace. No, no, no. <laughs> like if they coalesce into a crowd, you know how people are like bumping chest, pointing fingers at each other. Yeah, yeah, the mellow punch and run type stuff. Right, right. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but yeah, that's a way. Something, but something like that happens, I can absolutely see this turning into a rivalry. It'll be very, very great to watch because those are Toronto and uh, Boston have really, really good fan bases. And they can get very hostile very quickly. I think we're heading down that path. And I, I really, if I don't want to think we are, I just want to see it happen. Like that would be something that I think would only enhance the Raptors season. Yeah, Toronto rivalry hasn't been uh, fiery in a long time now. 
No. At least, like, the Bruins and the Leafs, too, there's history there from the hockey front where they don't like each other, so maybe the fan bases, at least some of the casual fans, will blindly follow the rivalry, too, with the Raptors and Celtics. I didn't even consider that, and that makes it even more intriguing. Something to think about. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get into what Damari Carroll said now. Um, I had the chance to go to his camp last Friday and kind of take in the sights and sounds of what he's doing. Some of the little campers there, the kids that he had, were savages, to say the least. They were calling for Damari Carroll to dunk on kids and expose them, as they said. There was literally a chance of expose him and dunk on him when he was playing one-on-one with some of the little kids. Keep in mind, these kids are anywhere from 5 to 13 years old, and they're calling for Damari to absolutely crown them. So (laughs) that was fun to watch. And speaking with him after, he had some really interesting things to say about Damar DeRozan. His development as not only a player, but as a leader within the Raptors clubhouse. Take a listen to what he had to say here. At Summer League, when you were with Atlanta, you said you went there to kind of develop a voice and become the leader of the team. Is there anybody here in Toronto that's taken that role with you, or is it still just yourself being the leader? No, I talked to uh, DeMar. Man, DeMar talks a lot. I text with Kyle. Um, but, you know, DeMar, he, I could see in his eyes that he really wants to, you know, be one of those top leader guys. And he understands that he got to lead by example. And uh, like I always, I told him when I first got here, I said, DeMar, at the end of the day, you know, you can always get your money. But, you know, people only remember you if you win. And um, he took on that role. He understood that winning was a big part. And I feel like that's why he came back. He didn't even take a meeting because he understands that winning solves everything. And people only remember if you win. They don't remember you how much money you make. What kind of habits have changed for him? You're a lot of habits. Yeah, he uh, – DeMar usually don't talk. He usually be in his little shell, but now he's very – his voice is heard. Uh, he went out to Vegas. He saw a couple of games. He met with some of the rookies. And, uh, you know, he's in talking to Masai and them, trying to see who they're going to pick up or trade. So he's doing a lot of things that you would want from your superstar on the team. So pretty interesting things by DeMar Carroll there on DeMar DeRozan. Uh, also on an aside, July 27th, Samari Carroll's birthday. Happy birthday, Damari. Roll Tide Roll, since I know you're a Bama fan, as you said. The confetti. But, yeah, drop the confetti, everything. Uh, the Swag Daddy, as they were calling him on Instagram after his little suit came out there. <laughs> Enjoy your birthday, partner. Damar, thoughts on what he had to say about, you know, your other favorite Damar, Damar DeRozan? I'm happy that he talked about Damar DeRozan coming out of his shell. Because usually, you know, when a player's in their shell, they come to, like, uh, like think about themselves and like what they can be doing to make the team better so they don't really talk about making the team better by like um, proliferating some sort of message they never like say it's like we need to be doing this or anything like that he's always thinking it's like okay I need to be doing this so we get better so just like having that that influence over the rest of the team I just I'm happy to hear that the person that's getting paid the big bucks is actually willing to, to take on the role of somebody that gets paid that much money yeah, I thought that part was pretty interesting because I didn't expect DeMar DeRozan to be somebody that's vocal in the sense of where, you know, you see him play a lot of times on the court and he just seems like a very quiet, reserved guy to build on what you were saying about him, you know, kind of thinking about, okay, the team will get better if I do this. But now he's not only thinking about how the team will get better if he does it, but he's thinking about how he can make the team better by making others around him better. Right. And that, that's it's something that DeMar DeRozan, I think, has finally taken that step forward. And it's not so much that the money has changed him. I think it's more that his age and having guys like Tamari Carroll around to kind of tell him, hey, 
You can't just play good ball yourself and expect everybody else to get better. You got to help these guys get better and show them how to be better. I think that's finally starting to wear off on them, and hopefully, it'll pay major dividends this year. The money is, even though it's it's not a hundred percent like affecting them, it's not zero percent. I think just like getting paid the most amount of money on the team is having this like effect where he's probably going to get scrutinized more than he's ever been in his entire life. About, for sure about the way he plays and like how effective he is. So just, well, for what it's worth, I mean, he did sign the third largest contract in NBA history. NBA history at the moment, like that's that's a big deal. And for a guy that has loyalty tattooed on his arm, you better believe that there's pride somewhere there too. So I don't think he's just gonna want to, you know, take a Pablo Sandoval like he did with the Boston Red Sox and just take the money and run. Demar Derozan doesn't strike me as that kind of person, and he doesn't doesn't strike anybody as that. To be quite honest, I think he's gonna. Not necessarily play the chip on his shoulder, but it's giving the back of his mind that he needs to be a superstar. Yeah, and superstars need to uh, develop every year. So if he wants to be a superstar, and I'm excited about him wanting to be a superstar because, you know, his finishing at the rim is great. That three-point shot, if it just comes around, baby, if it just comes around. I think it's coming because I don't know how much you've watched of the USA basketball, like, practices and scrimmages. I know we, we're not privy to all, like, the video from it, but we get, like, you know, Instagram posts, Twitter things, things on NBA Game Pass, NBA TV, anywhere us hoop junkies can search and find it. I know there's nobody on them, there's no defenders, but it's that, that shot is looking a lot better from three-point range. And in the games, both have been against China. Granted, not the greatest opponents, but he's just looking better. I know it's not much to go off of, but it's just he's looking better. Maybe I'm too optimistic? I like to be cautiously optimistic, other than with Norman Powell, where I'm overzealously optimistic. But uh, You bought all the stock already. I can't even buy any. <laughs> I, I love Norman Powell. I'm trying to buy stock, but what I bought last year I want to double down on. You bought all, all of it. Already. I have yeah, you every have all single of bit of it. <laughs> but yeah, his uh, development as a leader is, is great, and it's you know becoming... Uh, a factor or becoming something that I was thinking about is like whether or not it's his team or Kyle Lowry's team. Not so much as like a Shaq and Kobe thing, but more of like a James Harden and Dwight Howard thing where there's like two voices. Which voice do you listen to? I think it's going to start to be tomorrow. Don't you think? Because he's here long term. He has the big contract. Lowry, I love him to death. He's a bulldog, but he's got one year left on his deal and how long of a term can you really offer him at 31, 32 years old? That's true. Three, four years maybe? Yeah, maybe oh, four years old. I know, <laughs> I know. Four years is a stretch. Like maybe three and an option, but you get where I'm coming at here where they can't necessarily depend on him to be the long-term leader. That's DeRozan now. Okay. I'm excited, man. Just, I just want to see it, man. I'm, you know, we share a namesake, so <laughs> I, I just wanted to see him do well. You know, just another DeMar out there trying to do his thing. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to see him succeed, dude. I'd never want to see somebody, like, do poorly, and especially with somebody that's, you know, like, basically putting on for Toronto. I would love to see him do well and just develop into this superstar player or just, like, a prolific leader where people, like, actually listen to him and he's, like, he becomes one of those old heads. You know, it would be pretty, pretty awesome to see. It would be. And something I found interesting, too, that's kind of, like, reading between the lines of what Tamari Carroll said is when he goes, you know, you can make money wherever. Like, you can just take the money, basically, and not be remembered. But winning and everything else that comes with it is what gets you remembered. And I feel like that whole being remembered, loyalty, 
pride, all these intangibles that you talk about that kind of sound cliche at times, they really matter to DeMar DeRozan. And aside from him improving his three-point shot, I think we might see an uptick in his defensive ability this year where those intangibles we just talked about, pride, all that stuff, is about to kick in and he's going to elevate himself defensively. It may not be to the level of, you know, like a Clay Thompson, but I feel like he can be more than serviceable now. You know, his favorite, he's from Compton. His favorite player is Kobe Bryant. His play style is like basically a Xerox of Kobe Bryant's play style. Yep. The loyalty, the pride. Those are like a lot of Kobe Bryant words, man. I'm just saying, if he wants to become a superstar, the pathway is there for him. It's, it is. And with that, though, comes defense. Like, Kobe may not have been the best defender, but in big moments and in times where you needed him in the fourth quarter, he could play defense. I just need him to get into stance one time. If he could. <laughs> That's just effort. That's just effort, right? That's really just effort. Yeah, if he could get into a stance, maybe, like, spend a couple days. You know, he's on this USA team, right? And I, I wrote about this, like, it was just, like, a brief piece, but, like, he's on the USA team where, you know, DeAndre Jordan and, and like, Raymond Green, Paul George, all these, like, def- like defensive stalwarts <coughs> are all on the team. Just learn some things, man. Just, like, chill out, hang out with those guys. Like, if you're really dedicating to getting better, you should be, like, trying to get as much knowledge and information from these guys. So... Just, like, spend time with Draymond Green, you know, ask about, like, the geometry of the floor on the defensive end. Especially, like, somebody like uh, Paul George, who's a wing player as well. Just that you should be, like, sleuthing knowledge from him, and it's so, it's so important to, like, talk to your peers and get information from them. That's why your uh, teacher in elementary school tells you to ask your, your friends first for answers before they ask the teacher. Totally agree. And if you're going to go on that whole, he should ask his friends first, what do you think is a, a worse, uh, I don't want to say the word worse, but what do you think is a weaker part of his game right now defensively? His on-ball defense or when he gets caught in pick-and-roll situations and teams basically get him caught in the switch and pick on him? Like, Do you think he's he's worse in PNR situations defending the ball or just strictly on-ball? It's his, uh, it's his uh, you know, getting over the screen is like such a huge difficulty for him, and I don't really get why because he's not really a large body. He's pretty slim. He's pretty and he's so athletic, too. so athletic, too, so it doesn't make any sense. So I think it's just like a technique type of thing, which, again, you'll be able to talk to, like, Paul George, who is basically this, I want to say same body type, because Paul George is longer than him. But they're just... They're slender. Yeah, like, slender. It's so easy to get around the screen when you're when you're skinny. You know, when you're not... <laughs> it is, though. It really, truly is. For somebody like LeBron James, it's such a, you know have to like actually move your entire body around the other person when you're or run through the guy run through the person when you're slim you can kind of just like slither your arms and arm around him like kind of like uh, like a figure skater and skate by them so i don't know i don't know why that doesn't work for him so he needs to get that he needs to get that changed big time that's the biggest weakness for him really is just like screens navigating screens and off ball you know, hopefully he can he can get this down because that is like that would be a, another huge step for him. Be huge because off ball defense it's boring to talk about. At times it's also boring to watch, but it's crucial, man. You win or lose games like that. Yeah, all those backdoor. That's why the Warriors like get all these points off backdoor cuts because like not everybody oh, they crush teams. Not everybody's uh, off ball defense is very good just because you know hard to focus on something like that. It's so easy. It's so easy to um, you know, when your man doesn't have the ball, you kind of just like, 
relax and be like, okay, I did my job, right? But, you know, it's a 5-on-5 game, so that guy can still run around and catch the ball and layups or, like, shoot a three or something like that, so. Yeah, you can get lost in the shuffle, too, I mean, when you're defending him, especially when, like, there's an off-ball screen set on you, and he kind of runs a nice little underneath there, and it's just like, oh, shit. There's a lot of times. That's my man. <laughs> there are definitely times where I'll just see uh, DeMar, like, this man dishes off the ball, and you know, they're like, the team like the team flattens out for an isolation and he's like caught behind a big man because he's just not paying attention. He's ball watching. Oh, he looks disinterested, yeah. He's like ball watching. So like if he can, you know, stay engaged in, in those off-ball settings, move around screens better, I think he just is doing those two things. I think he'd be a much better defender and it would make him like a much more valuable player. Yeah, I think that's the next part, right? Like aside from the three ball, like defense is the next part. Yeah. It's, you know, I, like I said, is like his pathway to becoming a great player isn't that difficult. You know? It's all right in front of him. Got to shoot the three, play some defense. Sounds easy, right? Sounds easy, but it's hard to do. It does. I mean, especially when you consider how much of a hot commodity is in the NBA right now, it's kind of became the uh, the fad almost. Yeah, he's actually at this point, he's pretty much missing everything that makes today's NBA. That's why we call him a '90s player because he has everything else. You know, he just has like this close-to-the-rim type of game, mid-range, but if he could just add on everything else, like, he actually could be a superstar player. Basically, be the 90s, mean the 2000s. Yeah, that'd be great. Which would make him a superstar. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. To finish up on DeMar, though, did you see that dunk in the Chinese game that he almost landed, a 360 dunk basically on the guy, like the Vince Carter-esque? I would have, uh, I probably would have catapulted his season no, because that'd be like a highlight everybody would show before him before the season started and be like, "Look at Demar Derozan. This is what he's out here doing, man. This season's gonna be crazy." It literally would have been like when Vince Carter dunked on the French guy. Oh my god! And I say the French guy because I really don't remember his name. All I picture is Vince I think Carter. It was, his name was David Weiss, where he jumped. Yeah, friend. that works. That works for me. Right, and it just it actually ended that that guy's career. He didn't really play. That's, that's oh, he he eviscerated him. That was even close. It's just like, dude, your career is pretty much done now. You're a poster. Yeah, I mean, that became a defining part of his career. So. It's funny because, like, that's a defining part of his career. And you look at guys like Jason Terry who got, man, one of the dunks for the ages by LeBron in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And then you look at a guy like Brandon Knight who also got absolutely destroyed by DeAndre Jordan. Their careers kept going on. I know they're obviously NBA players and their guy's a French, like, international player. But at the same time, those are, like, afterthoughts in your mind, whereas I'll vividly remember Vince Carr dunking on that guy. His name is Frederick Weiss, by the way, not David Weiss, but yeah. I don't know, I just find it funny sometimes how players get dunked on, and some you remember more than others. Although, one could say the DeAndre Jordan dunk on Brandon Knight, and even the LeBron dunk on Jason Terry was just way more vile than Vince Carter's dunk on the French guy. Yeah, the dunks, man, especially for the Brandon Knight and DeAndre Jordan dunk, is just like it becomes a moment in NBA history, you know, like everybody remembers it. And I don't even know if it's more of, a, I don't know if it's a more visceral dunk, but it's just, it, that is kind of what defines uh, DeAndre Jordan's career at this point. Like, that's who he is as an offensive player. Yeah, he's just crowning. He just dunks on guys and Yeah, he just kids. like dunks, dunks on people. He jumps really high, he's six foot eleven. That's who he is. He also shoots air balls at Olympic qualifiers. <laughs> I'm <laughs> just saying. <laughs> oh man, hopefully he can uh hopefully 
Hopefully he turns to the granny shot, man. I actually want people to start shooting the granny now. I would love to see that. And for anybody out there that needs to listen to something to kind of sell you on it, Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history about Will Chamberlain and the usage of like the granny shot and all these other things, fantastic. Yeah, you you have to shoot. The granny isn't just like an underhand. It's actually like an overhand, double palm overhand flick type of motion. Well, there's an art to it, right? Like Brent Berry went on about that. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. So I'm, I want the underhand to, or not the underhand, the granny shot to come back, especially for to save people like DeAndre Jordan and Andre Drummond, who are like terrible free throw shooters. Even Dwight Howard. I mean, if it's an extra six to eight points a night for you getting hacked, why not take that? Definitely worth it. It's just more money for these guys, right? <laughs> Truthfully, they like, need more. You're money. gonna go from uh, probably not, <laughs> but <laughs> they're gonna go from being like ninety percent of the max to the full max. Yeah, big men are so valuable now that can be that athletic and you know not only score at the rim but hit free throws. That's almost unheard of nowadays. Yeah. I mean, unless your name's Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis and, like, uh... Boogie. Boogie at times, too. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah, I mean, I'd really have to sit there and think about it. Like, I can think of big guys that can shoot free throws, but not big guys that are superstars that can dominate a game and hit free throws. Not even Shaq. Or, no. or Will Chamberlain. Man, think about if Shaq could have shot, like, the granny-style free throw and improved his game that much more. How scary is that to think that Shaq could have actually improved... Nobody could stop. Nobody him. could stop him, and that was like his fatal flaw as a player. So, yeah, because he almost had forty twenty in the finals. <laughs> How dedicated are you to winning? That's uh, that is really it. Because like people are afraid of being made fun of by their peers or like in the media or something for doing that. Yeah. Like, how much do you like? Everybody wants to win, but people want to win on their terms, right? So, of course. How dedicated are you to winning? Really? Like, do you are you willing to do? everything possible to make it possible for your team to win, or is there some sort of bravado in the way for you? You know, considering Shaq's larger-than-life personality, though, I'm surprised he didn't use the granny shot and almost market it in a sense where... Yeah, yeah, man. Like, he's already huge, but I just feel like he could have, like, marketed that shot into being, like, the Shaq shot, and people would have just forgot that it was the granny shot. Because he has that ability to him, you know, where it's just like... Shaq can sell things. Yeah, him and like Man, he made Shazam for God's sakes, and that was terrible, and it still worked. Like we still talk about yeah, it. Him and Magic Johnson have this ability to make anything that they do like funny or like entertaining, and it becomes like part of them, you know, rather than them being coming part of the uh, incident. So that that granny shot could have been the Shaq shot. It could have been the Shaq. Just some food for thought. I just thought it was interesting listening to Re- Revisionist History there, that podcast about Will Chamberlain, and I was like, what if this was Shaq? That's the first thing that crossed my mind, <laughs> is how much better he could have actually been. Yeah, he's a true, a true like, L.A. player, you know? Through and through. The media loved him, and he loved the media, and he still loves the media right now. He's part of the media. Well, there was, a, there was actually a great article that came out about how L.A. basically stole Shaq from Orlando, and the parallel that I drew from it right away was how Golden State kind of stole KD from Oklahoma City. Well, the the bright lights, Silicon Valley, got these awesome technology. The new arena, all the money, everything. Great team. <laughs> Super, <laughs> superstar talent on the wings. <laughs> Championships, yeah. basically like in the bag. Before we wrap this up, though, did you see the reviews on Yelp and other places for Kevin Durant's restaurant in Oklahoma City? It's closing now, but have you seen some of the reviews? No, I haven't. And... Tell me about it. 
they're horrendous. I can't read them on here because they're just too foul, some of them. <laughs> but if if you have some spare time on your hands, I encourage you, Damar, and any of the listeners out there, just Google it. Google Kevin, Durant, Kevin Durant's Restaurant in Oklahoma City and the Yelp reviews. Basically, fans were determined to make this place close. <laughs> and they succeeded. <laughs> it's bad. It, you know, he left the city, man. They're gonna be. He they're did. gonna be angry. So I'm. Not, I'm not surprised. Maybe he'll open a Durant's in San Francisco. I don't know. Because <laughs> this one in Oklahoma City was good, then it failed. Yeah. Maybe they'll reopen something for uh, Westbrook. Yeah. Then he'll leave the next year, and they'll just spam it on Yelp again. Maybe they'll go two for two, shutting down restaurants. The Depot, maybe. Wow. Steven Adams, he can market yeah, that. No, yeah. Nick Collison. Nick Collison's been there since day one. He's their A1 since day one, you know? Yeah, maybe they can have like a, like a steak shop or something like that, steak house or something like that for him. Yeah, something plain for him. I can't believe we're going down that road, but <laughs> I just felt like it was it was interesting. It was worth checking out. If you have some spare time again, check out Kevin Durant's restaurant reviews on Yelp. You'll get a good chuckle out of it. On that note, I think we're going to wrap this up on the TOT cast here, the Raptors edition. Again, happy birthday to Murray Carroll. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me on Friday. Uh, a lot of insightful things. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter, at Tip of the Tower. If you also want to like our Facebook page, we greatly appreciate that. You can like us on Facebook, at Tip of the Tower. If you want to follow myself, you can follow me on Twitter, at Chris O'Kranitz. You can follow Damar on Twitter, at Damar J. Grant. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud as well. And if you like what you're hearing, leave us a review. Those always help, and they help with us in the rankings and the charts, and they help give us good feedback on how we can improve the show. As always, thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back here next Wednesday to talk more Raptors. Take care, everyone. Peter Dave. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.